This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. There seems to be a spiritual hunger in his life. I mean, the fact that he is following John the Baptist, John the Baptist is pretty hardcore to be following John the Baptist. I understand that. And I don't doubt for a minute John's love for Christ. I, I don't doubt that for a minute. But I also know that even with those things, that we can still allow self to get so involved in our lives. Suddenly we're not nearly as effective for the gospel as we need to be. The Bible says that those who persevere to the end will be saved. This is true of the Apostle John. We know that John started off being extremely selfish and proud, yet at the end of his life he wrote the book of Revelation and was known as the Apostle of Love. The life of John should be a comfort to all believers because we can all be selfish and are currently being transformed. Pastor David says that it's not about where you once were with the Lord, it's about where you are now. Well, now let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 20. So we join Pastor David for the conclusion of our character study of John. Matthew chapter 20. James and John, the two brothers, and along with them comes their mother. And I love moms. I, I, I love my mom, and they're, they're great. But you know what? Uh, there are sometimes moms that you can definitely get in the way of what God's doing. But anyway, that's, that's, that's just... In, in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 10, we're not going to turn there, but in Mark's Gospel, it just talks about the, the two boys coming to Jesus, uh, James and John. But here in Matthew, it brings out that mom was there also. Have any of you uh, heard the phrase helicopter parents? Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a new phrase of parents who are in control of their adult children's lives, okay? Who are always uh, hovering over them. And, oh, no, here, let me help you out with that, uh, honey. And sometimes these kids are like in their 30s and 40s, and moms still try to help out, mom and dad sometimes. My, my daughter, real quickly, she works for the uh, Middleton C State University uh, academic advisor, and she says, Dad, you would not believe the number of parents that come in and are still trying to control everything that their children are doing, and their children are supposed to be in college, getting ready to graduate, go out to the work world, and the parents come in making these arguments. And I said, no, I wouldn't believe it, because we, we, I mean it, we see it all the time. Helicopter parents. She comes out and says, uh, now, no, before I get into that, well, what was the big debate that they had before? Remember, one of the first debates that we looked at, they were disputing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus responds with, hey, that's, that's what the Gentiles deal with. That's not, that's not how you ought to be living. It's not even how you ought to be thinking at that point in time. Okay. Hey, mom. Would you mind going to ask him to see if we could sit on the right and the left? Or, or even mom, uh, again, you want the best for your child, so honey, don't worry about it. Let me go speak to Jesus. And maybe, you know, with, with a mother's influence, maybe we can get you guys, you know, kind of up there a little bit, get you a raise, get you a better situation in life. Uh, and so she goes up and she begins asking this thing. And Jesus, I believe at that point in time, goes right to the source. I think he turns from mom, it's kind of like, and I can I can envision all that. Jesus kind of rolls his eyes at mom, looks at the guys, <laughs> says, "Are you guys ready to deal with what you would have to deal with to be able to be in that position?" 
And the guys thought long and hard on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can do that. They have no clue. They have no clue of that responsibility. And then, not, not only that, we, we read in verses 24 on down that the, the other guys heard about it. And so now they are, like, all ticked off at, at James and John uh, because John asked the question. No. I, I think they're ticked off at James and John because James and John asked the question first before they got to ask the question. And so they kind of beat them through the punch. And so Jesus, again, goes up, hey, guys, it's not the way you can live. Not the, it's not the direction this kingdom is going. The application I want you to make in this, I want you to see. Number one, can, I believe it's very clear, can we see pride in these issues? I mean, I was going, you know, all the way back to the casting out of demons and, hey, you know, they're casting out demons, they're not part of us. A little bit of pride going there, a little bit of pride going here. I think we can also see something else. I think we can see some religious zealousness going on. And, uh, again, with absolutely no regard for the lives of others. You think that you can be very religious and really not care about people? Shake your head like this. Because there are many, many that are. There's a lot of Christians, quote-unquote, that are very religious, that really don't care about people. They're involved in religion. They're involved in just something that makes them feel like they are good and, and righteous. I mean, when I think of that situation with, with the Samaritans, those guys didn't care about people. They cared about, hey, you come and be a part of our group. You don't want to be a part of our group? I don't care about you anymore. Let me ask you this. What is your attitude toward the law? And I'm not talking about dear Aunt Susie who's really sweet, but she just doesn't know the Savior. I'm talking about the desperately, totally, I reject Jesus Christ in my life, lost. What is your attitude for them? Uh, I'm going to really jump out here. What's going to be your attitude to the, to the homosexual community that, that might go and, and meet at Chick-fil-A on Friday to have a kiss in? What's going to be your attitude? Is it going to be the absolute disgust? I, I know it's really difficult to look at that. Or are you going to be able to look and say, man, those guys are so... Desperately lost. They just need the Savior. They have no clue. And because of that, they're reaching out in every way they can. Not only them, but every lost individual. I, I understand that there are some that just so totally and vehemently reject Christ, and they are destined very shortly to an eternity of, in hell. But you've got to understand, too, that God takes no delight in the death, even of Beloved, when the word declares that, that that's the mind and the heart and the attitude of God, then really what kind of mind and attitude of heart should I have? In, in the overall scheme of things, we really need to have that attitude toward the lost. That they need Christ. That they need the Savior. And sometimes it's going to be very inconvenient for me to be in a situation that, that's very uncomfortable and they're doing and acting in a way that I'm not pleased with. But am I willing to at least have some kind of a contact? You know what? I'm, I'm, I am going to start preaching. I'm going to left my notes totally. I don't even know where I'm at now. Uh, it would be so nice, so nice, for us to be able to go and get a thousand acres 
build a 20-foot wall around it with the barbed wire, tie it all in. We can have our little Christian radio station. We can have our little Christian theater. We can have our little Christian radio station or uh, restaurants. We can have our little Christian neighborhoods. Nobody's allowed in. Uh, little Christian schools. Everything's everything's fine and beautiful. We have absolutely no problems with anybody. But you know what? That number one, that was not God's design. Right, Though man right, through right. the ages has sought to try and do that. I mean, the monasteries—they were that way. Uh, just uh, humanity in general. Uh, many times we looked that way. But you know what? Wind is a light, most effective church in the darkness. It shines brighter in absolute darkness. It's a little light. I'm gonna let it shine. And we're all in the same room with our little light shining. It's nice and bright in here, and that's very good and cool. But it's doing absolutely no good for the darkness outside. That's why if we have the mind of Christ, and we're walking in the Lord, we're strong in the Lord, because we need to be strong. If you're going to be walking in the darkness, you've got to be strong in the Lord. And I understand that. So be careful even with what I'm saying. But the fact is, is light needs to shine in darkness. Love needs to be shown to the unlovely. Because that's what Jesus did. In each one of these things that, that James and John, in particular that John was going on, you can see this lack of humility. You can see this brazen self-promotion. Hey, I want to be on your right. I want to be on your left. Uh, hey, get rid of those guys. They're not part of us. All of these kinds of things going on. And in each one of these, Jesus has a very direct and, 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 and immediate response to this. My question to you, do you see any of these kinds of any of these kinds of attitudes creeping into your life, either large or small? If you do, church, man, break that outlook and reveal that to, to the Lord and pray, Lord, don't let me get that way. Don't let me get that. Let me have the mind of Christ. I personally find it really, really interesting in all of these things that we've just spoke about, these, these failures in John's life, these, this, this, this pride, this, uh, uh, again, this uh, self-promotion, uh, this lack of humility. I find it very interesting that none of these were revealed in the Gospel of John. It's always the other writers that reveal these things. John didn't list any of these above-mentioned events in his gospel. What we find in those other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is the record of this young man who was a disciple of Christ, who was, again, at best, impetuous, perhaps even a little headstrong. He didn't have a whole lot of care for, for others. But he did have a whole lot of care for himself. And he was filled with these personal religious trappings. I meant what I said when I, when I started at the beginning, that there, was, there seemed to be a spiritual hunger in his life. I mean, to, the fact that he was following John the Baptist, John the Baptist is pretty hardcore to be following John the Baptist. And I understand that. And I don't doubt for a minute John's love for Christ. I, I don't doubt that for a minute. But I also know that even with those things, that we can still allow self to get so involved in our lives that suddenly we're not nearly as effective for the gospel as we need to be. 
one of the things that we do find in John's writings is that particular little phrase in self-description of himself. Uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Writing about himself, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, what do you think, John, about the other disciples? Jesus didn't love the other disciples? Or <laughs> You're right, then. You have to, it causes you to think. Do you think maybe, uh, and the other ones were the disciples that Jesus tolerated. That was the one that Jesus loved. Well, and, and I also think that it's pretty interesting that none of the other gospel writers describe John that way. Okay? They didn't say, oh, that was John, you know, the one whom Jesus loved. No, none of the other disciples described that way. So what's up with that? Was that more of John's pride? Before I get too far into that, or go down that road, I, I don't want to be too hard on John. Primarily because I believe that John was, in, in, in his own way, kind of hard on himself. Because again, remember, it's the old man John writing now about the new man, or the, the young man. So point one on that is in his writings, in John's writings, uh, in the Gospel of John, or in the three letters, the epistles of John, John never drew attention really to his, uh, I'm sorry, in the Gospel. Uh, in the Gospel, he never drew attention to his name. He never really promoted himself, other than just saying, you know, the other disciple. And even when we read about that in, that initial calling, or that time with Jesus, he didn't even give his name. He said one of them was Simon Andrew, or uh, 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 Andrew, the brother of Simon. So I feel that the guy who is writing now, the old John, that there is this humility. And I think that there's a thankfulness in the older, mature disciple that we can see here. Point number two is, I believe that it's really an actually very important phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, it's, and again, it's only written about John near the end of John's writings, near, or near the end of John's gospel record, near, near, near the time of Jesus' crucifixion. We read about it first in the upper room where he uses that. Jesus had just announced that he was going to be betrayed by one of them. And in John chapter 13, we read that following account. Verse 22 says, Then the disciples looked at one another. They were perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, this is John who is writing this now. He's writing this as an old man about events that have taken place. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter spoke to him and wanted him to ask him, Who is it that is going to be joined? We read the same and, and similar words uh, even as we come to the cross. In, in John chapter 19, Jesus hanging on the cross, he sees his mother. In verse 26 it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now to me, this is the first clue that there's, there's been a change of attitude uh, with this young disciple. When we look at the older guy, or the, 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 the guy, the younger guy, even before this time, early on in the ministry of Jesus, three years prior to this, see the guy, hey, let's 
Call down hellfire and brimstone on these guys. Let's wipe them out. Hey, let's, let's take care of this. Let's do this. Should we just tell them to stop it? But here, something has changed. Something's going on. And Jesus feels comfortable enough with this young guy to say, Woman, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. So just hold that thought. A little bit later at the empty tomb, at the point of uh, the resurrection on that uh, resurrection Sunday morning, John chapter 20, again we read similar words. Uh, it was the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, saw that the tomb had been taken, or that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter, and to whom? The other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now again, this is John that's writing these things. So what is it about John? John was one of the three most closely involved in ministry. Remember, so many times we read in the Gospel accounts, the three guys, remember who they were? Peter, James, and John, the three of those. The two brothers. It's interesting, Andrew, the other brother of Peter, wasn't there, but Peter was there. And what do we know about Peter? He was our first one on our character study. He was loud, boisterous, always putting his foot in his mouth and just, you know, just getting out there. I believe it. Jesus said, come here, stay close to me, don't get in trouble, uh, kind of a thing. And then he had James and John, the two brothers. John was one of those three that witnessed the raising of Jairus' daughter. He was present at the transfiguration. He was there with Jesus deeper on in the Garden of Gethsemane during the deep time of prayer with Jesus. And he seemed to be the only friendly, up-close witness to the trial of Jesus. When we read the gospel account that's only found in John chapter 18, how Peter and John ran to uh, Caiaphas's house. Peter had to, Peter and John, yeah, Peter had to stay outside. John was allowed to go on in because he was acquainted with the high priest in that household. John came back, told the maid, hey, open the door. That guy's a friend of mine. She opened it up, let Peter in, and then John went on back in. So we see that this relationship somehow is all there. It would seem that under the ministry and under the care of Jesus, that John is beginning to overcome these defects in his character, his headstrongness, his impetuousness, and we see him later on in his writings really being that strong, that patient, that loving, mature believer. We see this Humbleness, actually, even at the very end of his gospel record, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 21. You remember this? This is after the resurrection. The guys had been out fishing. Jesus comes along by the shore and says, Hey guys, come on in. I got breakfast for you. They come in. He begins talking with Peter about Peter. Do you love me? Uh, yes, I love you. That, that situation there. Okay, so that's the deal. Well, after that, uh, again, that, uh, discussion with Peter, we get down to verse 20. Jesus had just told Peter, he said, you know what, you need to follow me. And then in verse 20, we read that Peter turned around, and what did he see? Well, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one, uh, who, is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this guy? You want me to follow you, but what about this guy? What about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will, rem- if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And then again, this is John writing. Let's see what he says. And then the saying went out concerning the brother that this disciple would not die. 
Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he would not die. Because if he will, that he remain till I come. What is that to you? I think when John's writing this, saying, "That's just silly. I'm nothing. I'm, I'm not. That's, I'm not special." He's not saying I'm going to live forever. He's just trying to make a statement for Peter. So all you guys are spreading that rumor around that says I'm not going to die. I'm, I'm probably going to die. Okay. He goes on to say, "This, this is the disciple who testifies of these things." In other words. The one here who's writing this, I'm, I'm the one, I'm testifying these things. I wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. We also see in the writings of his epistles. It's John who writes about the reality of sin, even in the believer. In, in John, in, in 1 John, John that, that writes, hey, if we, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't this. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John is saying, us, we, we, us. John's putting himself in the same boat. He's not standing up here as this guy, hey, don't be telling me that you haven't sinned because I know you've sinned. He says, you know what, guys? And he's writing as an old man. He says, if we say that we've not sinned, we deceive ourselves. I see a great humility now with this guy. It's John who writes about the great need to, to love the brethren and not to hate them. In, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he writes, He who says that he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the same guy that says, hey, should we call uh, down uh, fire and brimstone on these guys? Hey, we, we told him to stop it. Hey, I want to be greatest. I want to be next to you, Jesus. And, and again, this whole... Uh, a pride thing, and I see again this change in this man's life. A little bit later, over in First John chapter four, he writes very similar in verses twenty and twenty-one. He says, "If someone says that I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he really love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also." John, who writes about the warnings of the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the, the pride of, of life. There in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 and 17. John said, man, you've you got to watch out for those things. Don't love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that's in the world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world's passing by in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. This is the guy that wanted to be first. It's a great humility coming that is on him. John draws attention to the greatness of the love of the Father. You see in John, 1 John 3, verse 1, where he says, that, again, the Father uh, is, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And again, John puts himself in that picture. Wow, I can't imagine 
the love of God that he would even allow me to be called this child. This is a guy that thought he was good enough to be second place with Jesus. You think he's humbled down a notch or two? You think he's kind of come to the reality of, wow, I say I haven't sinned, and I am deceiving myself. And what a blessing it is that, that he's bestowed on us this great love that we should be called children of God. From the life of Jacob, Samson, and David, the Bible is full of characters that have experienced joy and sorrow in their walk with God. We can learn so much from their examples. Pastor David will be sharing character studies here on The Open Word. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to TheOpenWord.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at TheOpenWord.com. That's info at TheOpenWord.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please, make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.